Well, welcome to our second season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, glad to have you back with us. And if you're a first time listener, we hope that you enjoy today's podcast and we'll come back next week. We have a great list of guests this season and you can read about them by going to jackwwilliams.com and just scroll down to the podcast section. Well, our guest today is, is Lieutenant Andrea Howard of the U.S. Navy. Andrea is an Ideals alumnus, we're proud of her, who attended the U.S. Naval Academy, and I guess she did pretty well. She graduated number one in her class with a double major in political science and Arabic. Either one of those would have derailed me, Andrea, and I, I can't imagine doing both and much less finishing number one. Uh, she also received her master's in science with distinction, I might add, in global governance and diplomacy at the uh, University of Oxford Magdalen College. And finally, she also received her master's of arts once again with distinction in science and security. There are other classes and honors that we could go through that she's received, but uh, I, we don't have time to get into them and I'm already exhausted. Uh, and we only got 20 minutes to talk with her. So we wanna make sure we give her time to talk. And right now, Lieutenant Howard currently serves as an officer on board one of the Navy's nuclear submarines. So Lieutenant Howard, you graduated from the Naval Academy with a dual degree in political science and Arabic. What led you to pursue those two areas of interest? Yes, sir. Well, firstly, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So the Naval Academy pushes approximately two thirds of the student body to major in STEM degrees being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But I diverged from that path with the understanding that after graduation, whether on a surface ship, a submarine, or as an aviator, my job would be highly technical. I wanted at the time to become a better communicator and craved a more global-minded and holistic approach to beginning my naval service. And specifically learning Arabic afforded me the opportunity to study abroad in Oman and invest time in learning a complex culture and region of the world from within which was a skill set that then would pay dividends as a submariner. Absolutely. Well, you, you immediately focused your naval career in the area of nuclear power, which landed you on a nuclear submarine. So how did that kind of walk us through how that transpired? So kind of like I alluded to, submarines themselves are really complex cultures. I often claim that submarining is this mesh of a social translation of highly technical material and what I mean by that is that it's an environment of team building, continuous learning, and trust building in order to run a nuclear reactor, fight an unwelcoming ocean, and ultimately face external challenges and potential adversaries. With that, I wanted to work with the nation's smartest, most resilient sailors. The people were actually the largest draw to the community for me, and having an operational experience with nuclear reactors then in the future opens up doors to work on nuclear policy which is one of the most existential issues of our time. Well, well, you also, you know, when we talked previously, you, you, I asked you about deployment and you said that the, uh, the typical deployment, or as the Navy refers to as underway, normally lasts for, for six months. Tell us what a typical day in your role would look like while underway. Absolutely. Submarine days are split amongst three watch sections who provide 24-hour continuous coverage of the operations. So you stand watch in eight-hour chunks. So with that, a day begins, of course, with a wake-up, and then you'll do a pre-watch tour to assess the current operations and contact picture, and then eat breakfast or lunch or dinner, depending on what time of day you're actually standing watch. 
Watch turnover then occurs where the officers and sailors begin that eight hour shift of driving the boat and managing the nuclear propulsion plant. Then after the next watch section awakes, eats and relieves the watch, the offgoing watch section eats their second meal of the day and completes administrative tasking while they're on standby to assist with casualty response in the worst case, or to just support other kind of functional needs, be that a bathroom break or some additional support on the periscope. And then it's off to bed and, and repeat. Uh, well, you know, I, I would think uh, spending 24 hours a day with the same people for six months at a time with no break in a confined space in a pretty intense environment could really be pretty challenging for a person like you that's in a leadership role. And how do you deal with uh, that kind of familiarity on one side and still maintain the, the proper relationship from a leader standpoint um, when you're working with these same folks? Right. The ultimate tactic that I utilize for balancing that familiarity and formality is to simply remember that every person on board is just that, a human. So caring deeply about sailors' personal well-being and their professional growth is complementary to performing well as a professional team when the situation warrants. So each sailor, sailor feels valued and won't take it personally in tense scenarios when niceties sometimes have to be cast aside just to get the job done. Everyone has a specific role to play on board and mutual respect between those technical expert sailors and the decision-making officers is the bedrock to success. Let me ask you, uh, I'm curious, what goes through your mind uh, knowing that you've got tremendous leadership responsibilities and you play such a critical role aboard a nuclear sub that because you're in that environment, you're on that nuclear sub, you know, that that situation, that environment could impact the world if the bad guys act up. So, you know, when, when you're there on uh, on your watch, what's what's going through your mind, uh, realizing the, the potential impact that you could be right in the middle of? Yeah, the Naval Academy really sets us up to start thinking about those questions before we get out to the fleet and have to exercise them and understand just how intense the situation can be. So with that, the school makes every freshman memorize Theodore Roosevelt's Man in the Arena speech and that ethos, which says that the credit belongs to the person actually in the fight and not commenting on the sidelines, has stayed imprinted on our characters. Some Mariners in particular want to be in the fight, and we understand our critical role should conflict break out. So for that reason, it's, it's hard to find pride in the military that equates to those of the silent service. And earning a submarine warfare pin means that you are trusted to save a shipmate's life should the boat come under attack. And for me, even though people always ask questions about how you can survive in such adverse situations and underwater without seeing sunlight for months at a time, the answer that I have is that the pride that we have in our profession and the opportunity to serve should conflict outbreak outweighs any of the inconveniences of that lifestyle. Well, I had an opportunity to tour uh, the bay down there near uh, Brunswick or Savannah, I forget. Um, and we didn't get to go on on the, uh, the sub, obviously, but we did go get to observe some of the training and some other things. And it was just absolutely fascinating. Um, now, now, this was a little disturbing when we talked earlier. You said that many of the people that are on your sub never attended college. And, and now they're working on a nuclear sub. And my first response was, well, I'm not sure I'm going to sleep well that night. Uh, but then you explained really how 
uh, the expertise that they develop. So explain why these people are so well equipped to handle their roles, even though some of them have not gone through the education, formal education that you have. Yeah, I'll say that coming from Atlanta and seeing the innumerable ways that my high school classmates from Norcross have found success in life, I understand that college is simply not the right path for every person in the nation. The sailors who run our submarines, for instance, are some of the smartest people in our country. And while their nuclear and conventional training is world-class, and specifically they undergo about 12 months of technical classroom work and then hands-on training with moored training ships that have active nuclear reactors in Charleston. While they have that training, it's their resiliency and personal sacrifice that sets them apart and makes me trust them with my life for months at a time while underway. And I challenge, you know, most of the normal civilian folks who live in our country and to find better teenagers and 20-something-year-olds who stand watch and run these highly complex machines. Well, I echo your comments about college is not <clears throat> for everyone. Uh, in Georgia and, and across the country, they have the uh, what they call CTE, career tech education. And they, the students are mostly folks that just that's not their cup of tea necessarily. That's not their driving force to go to college, but they're extremely sharp and they have so many career pathways now that they train these uh, high school students on. And I've had a chance to witness a, a number of them. And it's just a really, really impressive, you know, what they do and, and what they uh, what they learn and then what how they use it later on in life and and become extremely successful. Uh, I, I want to back up one minute. Tell me a little bit about what your takeaways were. What did you learn the most from attending the Naval Academy? We, we had another ideal student who graduated from West Point and uh, <clears throat> he had some interesting observations about his time there, but what, what were your key takeaways from your experience there at the Naval Academy? Sure, key takeaways. The first thing I would say is loyalty. And loyalty is really a complex concept because there's loyalty to institutions and loyalty to your coworkers and in the Navy's case, shipmates. And Loyalty to the institution means believing in the ideals of that institution. So even seven years into my military career, after having commissioned in 2015, I still believe in the Navy and what it stands for. And that is this drive to get into the fight, to operate in the most challenging you know, conditions on the planet and in some instances outside of the planet. Um, and so that loyalty to the institution means having the integrity to then speak up when something is wrong and to continuously learn to make myself a better officer such that I can join the long tradition of successful officers in the myriad challenges that are going to continue to develop and make international waters a tough place to operate. Then on the other hand, there's loyalty to shipmates. And so that means that while you develop these deep friendships and connections and have a level of trust that is hard to find elsewhere on the planet, uh, you still have the honesty and integrity to the institution to help each other get better when we do fail and to collectively then improve and succeed as a team. So I would say it's that finesse of balancing loyalty to an institution and to shipmates who ultimately then become some of the best friends and really in, in some senses, your family for a lifetime. Well, what a wonderful experience. I've had a chance to... Uh... <clears throat> to tour both the Naval Academy and, and West Point. I have not been able to get to Air Force yet, but uh, 
Uh, it's just it's quite an experience, and to talk to to those that have gone through that as an educational experience is uh, pretty special. Uh, I think it's been about roughly ten years since females were allowed to be part of a subcrew. If I if I'm correct, uh, I'm sure there's still some challenges in that area. How are you dealing with that? You are correct with the timeline, and to date, there's been about 250 female officers who have joined the submarine force. I would be lying if I said that it is not tough at times. And I've become sensitive to the subtleties that remind us women that it is a boys club of sorts. Like the amount of time that someone in your leadership will let barriers down around you or will be willing to get to know you. At a more junior level, it's sometimes hard to find people who will advocate for you when you need assistance, although they might intervene for your male counterparts more frequently. That said, the best thing to do is to maintain your integrity and strive for high performance such that no one can ever doubt your capabilities or contributions. From there, I've built alliances to find officers and senior enlisted leaders that will provide you honest feedback and mentor you to make you better. And lastly, I lean heavily on my peers. I'm so privileged to have a tribe of ladies around me that are trailblazing the future of the submarine force. They keep me motivated and wanting to reach back to help the next generation of women submariners. Well, you're, you're certainly a leader of that group. You've been a leader in everything that you've ever done. Uh, we've talked about some of the challenges of working on a sub. What are some of the fun things about it? What's, what's unique in a fun way? I know a lot of people say like that it, it couldn't be a fun job when you're away from family for such long stretches of time and going out to the edges of the earth. But driving a submarine is the coolest part of the job. I can't emphasize that enough. While submerged, there's nothing comparable to knowing that the 150 or so souls on board trust you to navigate in three dimensions. So much more difficult than driving a car. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> on the surface, sometimes dolphins will jump around the bow of the submarine and the natural beauty of the sunsets and bioluminescence is indescribable. So that's where I feel the most connected to the 100 plus years of submarine history. Just driving the boat like generations of legendary officers before. Uh, we also did a shellback ceremony to celebrate our cross crossing the equator on my last deployment and those small navigational feats and then really odd kind of celebrations under the water, which I can't tell you about unless you two have gone from the realm of the polywog to the shellback <laughs> by, by crossing the equator. Uh, but they instill that sense of naval tradition even further into each of us that gets to experience them. Cool, cool. When is your next uh, deployment or next underway? Right. So I have to actually complete school before I report to my next submarine. So in March, I'll be heading up to Groton, Connecticut for a six month course on tactics and navigation. And from there, I will then be certified to be a mission officer of the deck. So depending on where the submarine goes, I will be certified to drive in the most challenging scenarios. And uh, from there, uh, which should be about October of 2022, I'll then go to my next boat. Um, don't know exactly where that is yet. I, I hear some whisperings that I might be on the East Coast as a navigator and then maybe an engineer. But regardless, I'm excited for the next opportunity to rise and continue to help pave the way for the ladies that are coming behind me. Well, I'm going to do a little selfish plug here since you are one of our uh, Ideals alumnus, uh, alumni. Um, any takeaways from way back then that you got from Ideals that have helped you in your career? For sure, and I would even broaden the scope to say that it's not just my career, it is my life and the outlook that I have with 
all of the challenges that I've undertaken, be that attending the Naval Academy or then being an ambassador abroad during my two years of graduate school in the United Kingdom, and then coming back and completing the nuclear propulsion program and being a team member on a submarine. So the Ideal Leadership School was where I first encountered uh, topics that seriously made me consider what constitutes my moral foundation. So through your leadership, Jack, um, I was forced for the first time in my life to consider ethical dilemmas, to make my I believe list and commit to a path of integrity and day-to-day decision-making to stay optimistic and motivated. And I'm still striving to, so to speak, maintain those ideals. Um, But I was lucky to have that kickstart in high school and to have that foundation and really that leg up before entering a military institution and then beyond serving in some of the harshest conditions on the planet. So I thank you. And I could not encourage any of the listeners enough to, to partake in their program if they have the opportunity. Well, Lieutenant Howard, it's, it's been a real privilege reconnecting with you and having you with us today and, and sharing your experiences in a very most unique role. And it's been quite informative. Um, I want to thank you personally for your dedication to your responsibilities. Uh, I salute you. And I know I speak for all of our listeners in saying thank you for your service and be safe. Thank you so much for having me and for continuing to serve the community where I grew up and that I still continue to love. You are building the leaders who are making this nation and the world a much better place. Well, as we close out another podcast, I want to encourage uh, each of you to be back with us next week. And as always, make it your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others. Hey, before you go, we wanted to let you know about Jack's book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question. In this book, Jack shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide his life. Whether you are a spouse, parent, grandparent, friend, leader, educator, coach, or mentor, Jack's I Believe statements apply to all the roles he has played during his lifetime and can do the same for you. Jack's message applies to all people, ages, and careers. It's an easy read with compelling stories, enjoyable humor, and sincere transparency. The question is now available in ebook and paperback exclusively on Amazon. Go to jackwwilliams.com slash the question to learn more and buy your copy today. Again, thanks for joining us for this episode and join us next week for an all new episode of KnowledgeCast by Ideals.